kids-first coming attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll take you behind the scenes, interview celebrities, and review new movies, TV shows, and digital releases. Now, here are your hosts from Kids First Coming Attractions. Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm Zoe, and today we're going to be talking about Gil Jenner's new film, Think Like a Dog, and Jealous and Tenero, Nine Media Group Chief. Voice over actress Liza Waterworth and Blake Harris, who wrote Console Wars. Now let's start with my interview with Gil Junger on his new film, Think Like a Dog, because who doesn't love dogs? I definitely do. Hi, Gil. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. I feel like this film is almost a love letter for dogs. I mean, it has such a spe- humans have a very special connection with dogs. Um, and I feel like dogs, my mom always tells me dogs have healing qualities. So where did the inspiration for this film come from? It's a very good question. And your mom is right, by the way, about the dog's healing qualities. And offline, I could tell you a study that's come out recently. You know, there's a, there's a love hormone that the human body creates. Yeah. I think it's called, um, oh, I forget the name of it. Um, oxytocin? No, maybe oxytocin. <laughs> oxytocin. Anyway, there's a study and I won't waste your time with this, but uh, just for your mom, um, there's a study, Harvard Medical, that if you look into your dog's eyes for more than 30 seconds, the human brain is flooded with the love hormone and so is the dog's. That's so sweet. I know whenever I'm sad or just like not feeling my best, I always get my dog and she always makes me feel so happy after. But that's the reason. It's because when you connect with your dog, it's been medically proven that you release a love hormone and so does the dog. It's so cool. Okay, anyway. And and that is part of the reason um, uh, it is a love letter to dogs. And it it was also meant as a love letter to my children. Uh, I wrote the movie when uh, I kind of thought there's a good chance I might get divorced. And I was very worried about my kids and you know how they're gonna be. And so I wanted to write a movie that they could see that shows that even if there is a divorce, because 50% of America has them, it's not the end. As long as there's mutual respect and as long as the parents love their kids and let the kids know it, the kids will be okay. And, and I believe that to be true. And also during this time of, you know, introspection and sadness for myself, I kind of thought, why is my dog happy every single day? They're always happy. They wake up smiling. They're always just happy. They're just like joy. It's like, wow, I'm alive again. Um, So I thought about that for a while at the same time. And then I realized, wait a minute, maybe it's as simple as just gratitude. Maybe dogs are just grateful. And if you come from a place of gratitude, then life is a gift. And I, and, I, and I recognize, and that was a time in my life, maybe I wrote this five, six years ago. And that was a time in my life where I was finally learning that if I want to feel content, if I want to grow into the man that I've always wanted to be, I, don't, I can't find the answers outside of myself. It's not going to be a bigger house or a boat or more cars or whatever. The answers are all inside. And I kind of combined that with the way a dog looks at life. 
because even in the movie, it says specifically, the dog says, um, Henry says, uh, I have everything I need. I've got two parents that, I have a family that loves me. I get two free meals a day. I can pee anywhere I want, which I would get arrested. I love that line in that scene. It's amazing, yeah, and I feel like- it's truth. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that, that was the genesis of the movie. Yeah, um, and this film, I think it has so many messages, and like, as you said, dogs they really just appreciate the little things in life i mean people are always thinking why don't i have this but dogs are just they think about the simple things and like life could be so much simpler if we just think about that so what true messages will i guess you kind of already said that but what really messages did you want to say to all children in this film wow good for you um well that's a great question by the way and especially for kids you know i'm 65 I know I look 35. Uh, I'm just, yes, I'm, yes, I'm joking, but I'm 65. And it wasn't until two years ago that I kind of finally figured this out, this thing called life. And it's because I just accepted who I am rather than trying to be someone I'm not because of, you know, oftentimes when we're kids, um, we get messages and we believe that we're less than, we're not as pretty as we want to be. We're not as smart. We're not as successful. We're not, none of that is true. I truly believe it's like Lady Gaga song, uh, born this way. No, no, I'm not joking. I really believe that we're born kind of perfect. And what happens in life is that we become conditioned to believe things about ourselves from reflections of others. And one of the things I would love for kids to take away from this movie, and it's the same message I put in 10 Things I Hate About You, by the way, is just appreciate yourself because you're amazing. You know, if you're not one of the cool kids, who cares? If you're not one of the hot kids in school, who cares? You're yourself and your gifts are unique and that's what makes you special. So anyway, it's a big life lesson for, to, to, to hope a kids can get, but damn, I would have been a lot happier if, uh, you know, if I appreciated myself at a younger age, let's put it that way. I love that. Cause when you think about this film, it's just like a film for dog, like a, about dogs. And there's a lot of dog films out there, but this one, it's, it's different because there's just so many powerful messages. Kids need to know this. And I feel like a movie about dogs, especially is just the perfect way to put it. No, um, thank you. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today we're talking to Nine Story Media Group Chief Officer Angela Sanchero, voiceover actress Liza Waterworth, Blake Harris, who wrote Console Wars, and now let's continue talking to Gil Junger, who wrote Think Like a Dog. Cast in this film, I felt like it was so important to get the right people, and I feel like the cast in this film was amazing. Um, so how was it casting all these actors who were great? That's really another very, how old are you? I'm 11. Jeez Louise, um, you're impressive. Um, I got very lucky. And here's the reason. I got, you know, Megan Fox, a big actress, and Josh Dumel, a big actor, to do a little family movie. I mean, these guys did Transformers, you know, one of the biggest franchises of all. The reason they were willing to do this little movie is because they loved the message that you and I have just been talking about. That's the reason. Josh said to me, 
I love this script. I identify with it. I have had these exact same feelings. And Megan said the same thing. And Megan said, I want to do whatever I can to get this message out there because I believe in it. Um, so, you know, 90% of my job was done because I had two amazing actors that truly believed in what I was trying to say. And then regarding Gabriel. Um, I loved I, him so, his, oh he's God. He's incredible. I am telling you, as, as the man who found Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, okay, I, I know a little thing or two about casting without sounding arrogant, or maybe I did sound arrogant, no. but it's true. I, I do know how to cast, and I'm telling you, I must have read 250 kids, before, and I still didn't have the kid, and I was three weeks away from shooting this movie, and I still didn't have the kid. And I was like, oh boy, but I was not going to settle. I was not going to settle because I know how important that role is. And Gabriel came to my house to read for me and the producer. And I was stunned by his depth. I was stunned by his intelligence. Um, and you know what? And now having done the film with him, I'm even more crazed about how good he is. He's, in a, he's one of those like, once in a decade finds, in my opinion. He's gonna be a massive movie star. Yeah, he's, he's very, very, I got lucky, I got lucky. Yeah. yeah. I saw him I, like, within maybe one minute of watching this and I saw Gabriel for like the first time on the screen, I was like, wow, this kid, like, I'd never seen him before. And it was shocking, cause he was just so good. Yep. Um, yeah, and how is it working with a dog? I mean, my dog, I tell her to sit down and stand still, doesn't work. So I, I can't imagine how it is to try to film a movie with the dog. How does that work? Well, we got lucky. Um, you know, I picked the dog. It was an untrained dog. I just loved his face. And then the trainers got to work right away. They worked with him for three months. Wow. Training the, I had a detailed in the exact moves and the exact blocking, which is positions, I, I gave them all that information long before I ever shot the movie because I had it all in my head, right? So they did their job incredibly, but here is something that they did that I think makes this movie stand out. They, they knew how much I wanted the relationship between Gabriel and the dog to look real, right? Here's the big, one of the big problems. Dogs rarely look into a person's eyes. They're always looking for the trainer. And what they suggested, which was so smart, was the instant Gabriel showed up on set, two weeks before the, sh the filming, the instant he showed up, they made sure that Gabriel spent every free minute for a month, every free minute with Henry. And what slept with him, hung out with him, brought him back to his hotel room. And what happened because of that is they literally created a friendship and a relationship and trust. The dog just trusted um, uh, Oliver. So whenever they were looking at each other, the dog was literally looking at him. That's so special. It is so special. And even the dog trainer said to me that they've never seen it work as, as successfully as it did in my movie because they really bonded and you can feel it. It really, you really feel that Henry's listening. It's pretty cool. Well, that's amazing. So last question before we yep. end, continue. 
Um, so this is such a positive, uplifting movie as we've already kind of touched on that. So this is kind of the perfect movie or situation because of what's going on right now. This pandemic, everyone's at home. Incredible. Can't see you in person, but this is the best that we could do. So what do you think audiences should expect from this film? You know, I think most audiences, not kids, but certainly adults are going to think it's another stupid family film with a talking dog. I literally think that's what they're going to think. And, you know, it's going to be one of those films where the parents go, oh, my God, it's 90 minutes left. I can't believe this movie. Um, and I think and I hope that parents and kids alike are going to really enjoy the film because it's honest, it's realistic, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, and it's heartwarming, and it's also fun. It's a fun message. Uh, it's, the, it's a fun delivery of an important emotional message, which is appreciate what you have. And look at, look at what's happening in the world right now. If you can just even appreciate your, what are the two th most important things in the movie? Love and family. And it just so happens that everyone now is in their homes with their family. And if people could just take a minute and go, we have everything. We have love and we have family and it's all in this room. And I think, I, I hope it makes, I hope it lifts people's spirits, especially with what's going on today. Yeah, um, I, it, it's definitely gonna lift people's spirits, especially if it's a dog. I and mean, who doesn't like dogs? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, thank you so much for talking with me. My um, pleasure. My dog opens on June 9th. Go check it out, digital and on demand. Let's take a break. I'm Zoe, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Summer Fun with Malong. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com to become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. 
welcome back. I'm Zoe, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We just finished talking to Gil Junior, who just wrote the new film, Think Like a Dog. Now let's move on to Ryan's interview with Angela Centenero from Nine Story Media Group, who is a Chief Creative Officer. Hi, I'm Ryan, reporting for Kids First. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Angela C. Santamero, Chief Creative Officer at Nine Story Media Groups, and a true superstar in children's entertainment as creator and executive producer of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Blue's Clues, Wish and Proof, Creative Galaxy, Super Y, and many more. Ms. Santamero's been changing the way children watch TV for more than 20 years. With a master's in child, in child development psychology from Columbia University Teachers College, Ms. Santamero's vision for integrating educational curriculum into entertaining content for kids led her to co-create, executive produce, and head write Nick's, Nick Jr.'s landmark series, Blue's Clues, which Malcolm Gladwell referred to as one of the stickiest TV shows ever made. Ms. Santamero is the recipient of many awards, including the prestigious Peabody Award for Outstanding Children's Programming. Wow, you have an amazing history in children's programming, including many of my favorite shows that I enjoyed when I was younger. Tell us, how did you become involved in creating children's programming? With a degree in psychology, what led you to creating programming for children's television? Hi, Ryan. Thank you. Um, you know, I come from a family of educators, and so I was either going to be a teacher or I was going to try to put the very best curriculum on television, and so that's the, that's the course that I ended up taking. Um, I loved Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was a show that I watched religiously when I was growing up, and I just wanted to create something um, that had as much passion and impact as that show did for for kids. So what do you use to measure the success of children's programming? Like, how do you gauge it? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, uh, we look at ratings. We look at um, the amount of social media and, and, and we get a ton of emails from parents and from kids. And we really look at overall if kids are using our show. So for instance, Daniel Tiger, we can hear it everywhere we go. Plus it's a highly rated show for kids and for parents. And so you can, so for me though, at the end of the day, the thing that I look at success is whether or not the kids are actually learning from the shows. And so we do a ton of research to make sure that whatever we put on the screen, kids are actually learning. And so when we've done research and longitudinal research and summative research that proves that kids are learning from the series, then I feel like we have a success. Okay, so I noticed that you've worked primarily with animation. And my question is, what drawed you towards animated shows? When Blue Schools first started, the idea that we had um, animation and a live action person mixed together was really interesting to me. I thought it looked really different than anything else that was on TV. Um, and so that was really uh, something that led us to that. It was innovative, it was new, it was different. And then we started moving more towards animation because visually kids can really see what, what characters are thinking. We can show more visually than we do with live action, but I definitely play in both mediums because I think there's something about a real person that you can really talk to, like with the new Josh for Blue's Clues, um, and then also what it's like to cuddle and to hug a character like a Daniel Tiger. So I like to do a little bit of everything. I have to say, like, Blue's Clues was one of my favorite, like, shows growing up. And I have to say, like, when... You've, when it was first being made, did you think it'd be such a great success? 
Um, I hoped that it would, you know, we poured our love into it and our everything we, we knew into the show. And I had so much fun writing it and making it come alive. And the idea that we could just keep making more of these episodes made me so happy. And we ended up doing it for 10 years um, with 80 people full time. And, um, you know, as you know, we've made over 200 episodes. Plus now we've relaunched and made new episodes. So I just think there's a lot about like the love that comes through the screen for that show that, that kept it going. But no, we didn't know that it was going to be so big, but we knew that kids were screaming at the TV for all the right reasons and that we knew it was going to be something different. What, are, what were some struggles trying to create these projects? Yeah, it took six years, I think, from the beginning for Daniel Tiger to actually go through the process and get on screen. So sometimes things have to, oh, and then it took seven years for Super Y, where after we made it, it sat on a shelf for seven years before we found the right opportunity for it to be on PBS. Um, so sometimes you, you, you know, it's just not the right time for your show. And I think that's really hard. When we do research with kids, sometimes kids will not like what we're putting in front of them. They'll go running from the room. The positive of that is it's for our own learning so we can fix it before anybody else sees it. Um, but yeah, there's always ups and downs and it takes a village, right? There's so many people, when you look at the credits of a show, there's so many people that come together to work on it. And I have to say, I'm really, really fortunate to be working with the best in children's media. And so everyone pours their heart and soul into a project. So even when there's a problem, people roll up their sleeves and, and fix it. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today we're talking about Gil Junger's new film, Think Like a Dog, voiceover actress Lizza Waterworth. And Blake Harris, author who wrote Console Wars. Now let's continue with the interview with Angela Centenero from Nine Story Media Group. So when you are looking for like test audience and like your demographic is children, like where does that take place and like um, how much research do you do with the kids? We do, um, we go into schools at least once a week. And now during this time, we're actually using Zoom to, to be able to read like a storybook version of a script with pictures to kids. And it's literally the second draft of the script for this first phase. And we'll read it to them with a protocol. Um, and we have somebody writing down their responses. We want to know if they understand everything that they're, read, they're hearing. We want to know if the goals of the script are being met. So if we're teaching reading, if we're teaching certain skills, we want to know that after they watch the show that they're able to, to do what we put in the show. For Daniel Tiger, it was can they recite that strategy at the end of it? Um, and then we usually, especially at the beginning, we'll take, a, we'll take a, a show in a black and white animatic version, a storyboard version, into kids and we'll see what they think. And our favorite comment is when they say, can you make it in color? And we say, yes, we'll make it in color for you. And then we um, also show the show at the very end um, of the process where it has all the bells and whistles. It's all been animated, the voices, um, the sounds effects, everything is in there. And then we use that to help us understand whether, um, where we can make it better for the next episode. So is it easier or harder to show the test audience with like, this whole transition to remote learning. Yeah, it's interesting. We've had to pivot. Um, what's been a positive is that we're getting parents who are leaning in sometimes during the protocol, which we don't always get when we're in the school system. We get teachers sometimes, which is great. We get to talk to people all over. Usually we're in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area because that's where we are. And you can really get a subset of population. You can really get a little bit of everybody in those areas. But now we can be 
anywhere and do these Zoom sessions, which we love. Um, and I think there's a difference of like sitting on the floor and almost feel like, it, you know, we're talking about three-year-olds for some of these shows where they can almost feel like they're sitting in your lap as you're reading a story. There's a comfort there. Whereas with Zoom, it almost mimics what we would do when we have a show on TV or on a tablet or something. So in that way, it's a positive that the show has to, has to succeed on its own without that feeling of warmth that you might get when you're in person. Another thing I want to like ask about since we're in a, a new like type of time where we're like in remote learning and it's very more technology based. Will any of your upcoming projects refer to what's going on currently with COVID-19 and the recent like Black Lives Matter protests that have been going on? Yeah, so for COVID-19, we're working on a project uh, with Daniel Tiger so that we address not specifically that, but, the, but Daniel's disappointment about not being able to go to a carnival in the neighborhood that's been canceled so that we can keep everybody safe and healthy. And so we go through a various set of emotions with Daniel and we have a sing-along of the songs that will be helpful for you during this time. Um, and with Black Lives Matter, we've always... Um, We've always been digging into this in terms of finding diverse voices and talent and creative and stories. And so we've actually been working on a project for over a year um, already that really dives deep into a lot of the topics. So we're really, um, we're, we've been proud of that work. And then throughout all of our series, we've always tried um, to represent as many kids as possible. Um, and we want every kid to see themselves on, in media. Well, I'm glad that you're addressing the issues that are going on in the world. And I can't wait to like see these episodes because I feel like it's important to show not only like adults, but also children, like what's going on in the world because at a young age, they don't know everything. And I was wondering like, what advice do you have for young people like me who want to be part of like the entertainment industry who wants to be successful? I think it is listening to your audience is first and foremost, having a passion and a vision for what you want to say. Um, through this medium, you know, and, and um, to do it in the sense that YouTube and everything else is available to you in terms of being able to find some people that you can partner with that might have a similar vision or point of view, but have a different skill um, and coming together to, to start creating and even playing and making mistakes and getting dirty and just kind of being in it, like being in the room where it happens, you know, like just, just be as much as you can in it. Um, whether that's taking a class or being in a program or be having an internship or literally just creating um, with a team. When I started Blue's Clues, my, I was writing um, and I had my research background and then my co-creator is a designer um, and somebody who creates. And so the two of us together just really were able to make that vision come true. So that feeling of having partners and, and partnerships is really something that I always encourage because not one person can do everything. And so when you have a few people that can kind of join forces, you really get further faster. Well, thank you for answering all my questions. That's all of them. Um, I would like to also say, well, uh, other question, like, is there anything, any other thoughts you'd like to share before I sign off? Uh, no, I love, I love hearing your questions. I, I cannot wait for your generation to be making media and coming out um, full force because I think that uh, you guys are going to change this world, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, thank you. That's all my questions. I'm Ryan reporting for Kids First. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel and check out our other interviews. Let's take a break. I'm Zoe, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Summer Fun with Mulong. 
Elevate your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Zoe, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking to Gil Jogger about his new film, Think Like a Dog, and Jella Cincinero from Nine Story Media Group. Now let's go to Captain's interview with voice actress Lizza Waterworth-Santo. Hi, this is Captain with Kids First. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing the amazing and talented Lizzie Waterworth-Santo. Lizzie is a BAFTA-nominated voice actor playing in over a thousand cartoon episodes and shows that aired all across the globe. That is the coolest job ever with 17 years of experience voicing movies cartoons games and independent projects she specializes in voicing authentic sounding children that's also awesome <laughs> it's so nice to meet you lizzie oh nice to meet you Catherine. thanks for taking the time out to do this <laughs> you're welcome this is fun <laughs> so what made you realize your talent for voice acting so I, at school, was a bit of a joker. I was like the class clown who did, you know, impressions of teachers, played around with accents, and uh, people started to tell me that I, oh, you pick up accents quite quickly, don't you? And, and I could seem to just get impressions of teachers right. It was a, it was a bit weird. <laughs> so I, uh, so that's where it all started. And then I watched the, the movie Mrs. Doubtfire. Have you ever seen the movie Mrs. Doubtfire? I love that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> So I watched the opening scene of that movie where he's in a voice booth, Robin Williams, and um, and I heard him doing the voices. And then I was like, oh my goodness, that is, that's got to be like the best job in the world. So that's where it all started. That, that's so awesome. And so you work on, a, you work on a lot of cartoons of many different things. And you actually play, you've played some boys before, you've played mostly children though. And so... Um, I've noticed that there are many different opinions about the character Horde Henry, which you have voice acted for 13 years, and that is a long time. And so what do you think about Henry's character and how has he evolved over the years? Oh, so Henry, actually I have a picture of Henry behind me. I'll try and do a little uh, close-up of him. 
there. <laughs> um, so Henry, yeah, Henry's a really big show, Horrid Henry, here in the UK and across loads of countries actually. Um, so I've been lucky enough to play him uh, since 2006. He is a, he, he's called Horrid Henry, but he's more like a mischief, just a mischievous little boy. So he's, he lives with his mum and dad and he's got a little brother called Perfect Peter. So Perfect Peter sounds cool, but actually he's a bit like, you know, oh, I've done my homework. And whereas Henry's like, so what? I, you know, I, I may not do all my homework, but I can do other fun stuff. <laughs> so he's got this really, like, he's quite cute. And then what's great about Henry is that at the end of each episode, he doesn't always win. So it's not always, he's, he might, you know, take some sweets from the cupboard or play tricks on his friends. But some episodes he gets into big trouble with the teachers. And then some episodes he gets away with it. So it's, it's a really nice uh, show. It's like a sitcom for kids, really. So, yeah, loads of fun. That sounds really fun. I've watched, I did, I've watched a couple of the episodes, and I like that show. It's a pretty good show. <laughs> so you, I heard that your dream job is voice acting and everything, and that you also like baking. I absolutely love baking as well. And so are there any other dream jobs that you think you would try to pursue? Oh my goodness. Well, I do. I'm hopeless at baking. I have to say this. So I, I'm very flattered that somebody somewhere thinks I'm good at baking. I'm terrible at baking. Um, but I love, ah, oh, so dream jobs. Well, I do feel like I have the dream job in the, in the, I get to voice characters and all that. But, um, Oh, there's loads of things I want to do. I want to write a kid's drama that you listen to and do all the voices on that. I think that would be really fun. So I'm, gonna, I'm picking out voices at the moment that I want to include and then do, do you know, so, so I have a really high character up here and then maybe it might be you know, like a little boy down here and then, you know, the, the mom, the, the, the lovely mummy who comes home from work and, and, you know, so I'm kind of thinking about stories at the moment to do that. So that's like a fun project that, um, that I want to do, yeah. That would be really fun. That would be absolutely super fun. And so you are an inspiration to everybody who is doing voice acting and anyone, I think anyone everywhere who wants to do voice acting. And so what type of advice would you give like a child maybe that wants to pursue a career in voice acting? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say to really practice your voices which sounds like a really like of course you would do that you know but actually it watch cartoons and really listen to voices and think oh how would I play that character or or what makes that voice stand out from another voice and and find out what you're good at because um it's not all just crazy voices in animation it, it's it's getting really good at, at um, maybe just your normal voice might be really really uh you have, you have a lovely voice the way you deliver your your words and you know sort of it's a really lovely tone to it so I think just practice what you're good at watch cartoons and see see what you know what what you think you could you could do yeah I would that's, say that's really good advice and that's actually what you did and how you got kind of into the voice acting thing that uh the voice acting career I guess you're listening to kids first coming attractions Today we're talking to Kill Junger about his new film, Think Like a Dog, and Jella Santero from Nine Story Media Group, Blake Harris, who wrote Console Wars. Now let's continue with Catherine's interview to voice actress Lizzo Waterworth Santo. And so you've done so many adorable little things, and I've noticed that you've done some stop motions as well. And I love stop motions, they're adorable. I make them sometimes myself, and also 
Yeah, I love making them with my cousins and friends and everything and doing little voices or something. They're usually really insane characters, but you know, it's fun like that. And so, yeah, you were in a, the adorable, adorable stop motion film Strike and your character, Mungo, is torn between working for his family and, but also he wants to be a professional football player. So how can you relate to this character? Oh, so Mungo is adorable. Mungo's like a mole. So he's, he's like eight, probably eight, eight to 10. And, um, and he, yeah, he's a really nice kid, like kid, like a mole, mole kid, uh, that wants to, you know, he's got this dream, but then he wants to do the right thing for his family. And I think everybody can relate to that. You know, I think I, I have a, cause I have a seven year old and I see, I see little glimpses of him in the character and that helped me because I, I see that kid like uh, element of, oh, you know, so he, he talks like that. So, you know, I want, oh, mom, please let me go out and play. You know, it's that sort of innocent. Um, but then I also really, really want to play football. And, it, you know, it's, you know it's, he, he's got, yeah, he's quite torn on that. So I think I, that helped me having a seven-year-old that I was able to see that boyish element of, you know. So that was, yeah, that helped. For this one um, and also getting the voice because the voice was quite innocent but not too innocent so it's 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 friendly you know friendly little boy but also the, <laughs> the cheeky side as well so it was trying to incorporate all that yeah yeah and that's great that you can actually have some people I guess to look look up to for you know just to base off of your characters and is there anybody else that you've based your voices off like for your characters <laughs> Or I guess people's voices you've based off for your characters. <laughs> yeah, so I suppose I do it without thinking about it, really. It's weird. I have, um, in fact, I've got my three-year-old's been playing with this. So I, I play Uniqua in the UK. I mean, do you know the Backyardigans? Yes, I watch that show all the time. <laughs> oh, do you? Okay. So I play the UK Uniqua. And, um, and so, I, so she's pink, so she's fun. So you know she's going to be like a fun character. Um, and she's very, very smart. Uh, and so I, I couldn't give her like a, a little, you know, little, little gentle voice. She had to be quite confident. So you had to project her voice, you know. And then I, did, I sort of thought, you know, like Hermione from, uh, from Harry Potter, that sort of mm -hmm. British, very much sort of, I'm very smart, but she has to be friendly. So that's why I made her a little bit squeaky. So this is Uniqua, the patchy-eyed pirate. So that's a way of, uh, you know, <laughs> developing a, a character to get it to that voice is, is to think of people or, you know, styles that you know of. Yeah. I'm going to pop her back here. <laughs> <laughs> and so you've done, that's adorable. And I love how you can actually base off of things. Like I watch some shows sometimes and I'm like, oh, that's fun to do that voice. Or like, you know, I watch, um, maybe it's, a show that's from Australia or something. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try to do like an Australian accent or something fun like that. Yeah. But I'm really bad. <laughs> no, but just practice. You know, you don't, you don't, you learn this stuff. You know, so if it's something you really want to do, I would say to anyone, um, you just keep practicing. You don't have to be good at every accent and every style. Just, just have fun with it. You know, a lot of it's just having fun. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we are about to wrap up, but. Quick fire questions. Yes, bring it on. All right, Netflix or YouTube? Oh, oh Netflix. Because we've just got a special out on the Horror Henry feature one, so <laughs> for now, Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Ice cream or snow cone? Ice cream. Sneakers Always. or sandals? Sneakers. 
Fruits or veggies? Uh, fruits. Okay. So thank you so much for talking with me, Lizzie. I love talking oh, with you. Oh, welcome. I want to hear your accents next time. I want to hear you practicing your voices. <laughs> I, think you, I think there's a voiceover in there somewhere. So we're, yeah, you, you get practicing, girl. I will. <laughs> and this is Catherine reporting for Kids First. Please don't forget to subscribe to Kids First and check out all of our reviews. See you later. Bye. Let's take a break. I'm Zoe, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Summer Fun with Mulong. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Zoe, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking to Gil Jungler with his new film, Think Like a Dog, Angela Santero from Nine Story Media Group, voice actress Liza Waterworth Santo, and now let's move on to Gary's interview with Blake Harris, who wrote Console Wars. Hey guys, this is Jerry Orr's reporting for Kids First. Now, while we're all safe at home, something I love to do to pass the clock by is play video games. And our guest today, Blake Harris, he is an absolute expert on the world of video games. He is a USA Today best-selling author and responsible for a lot of great books about video games like Console Wars, which follows Tom Kalinske, who was CEO of Sega in the 1990s, as well as the history of the future, which follows the virtual reality company Oculus and its merger with Facebook. Thank you so much for being here today. Blake, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Jerry, and it's good to be uh, here for Kids First. Well, thanks so much for being here. Now, like I mentioned, your books follow video game companies, and you're also writing a book about Larry David now, who, as we all know, is creator of Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm. And in these books, there's a large focus on people, and a lot of these people are still alive, which is so cool because it means you can collaborate with them and hear from them and talk to them about their stories and you get some firsthand accounts. The problem with that is you need to find them, you need to get in uh, contact with them, get in person. So can you talk a little bit about your process on finding collaborators and working with them? Sure, I'm glad that you noticed that and mentioned that because I would be remiss to do a book that didn't include people I can collaborate with, people who are alive or at least, I, I love telling character-driven 
firsthand experiences because um, everyone's truth is a little bit different. So getting to talk to the actual people and showing it from the preview is important. For me, writing Console Wars was my first book and it was really a trial by fire. Um, up until writing that, I had spent my entire 20s, literally up until the day of my 30th birthday, trading commodities for Brazilian clients like sugar and coffee and soybeans. Um, that was my day job. I was trying to make it as a screenwriter on the side and then eventually as a novelist. Um, and I was, became interested in saying Nintendo and sort of to your question, I had no idea how to get in touch with people. I had no idea how to ask them questions. But my first step was to use a website that I often make fun of and definitely made fun of back then, which was LinkedIn, um, which was a very useful tool. I typed in Sega. I typed in Nintendo. Um, thousands of people came up. I saw who was there during the era that I was interested in learning more about. And it just became a numbers game. And that was just a great experience for me because I had to get very familiar and accustomed to getting rejected. So you know, 85% of the people went right back to me where I would politely decline, which I understood because I had no credits under my name to really say, here's why it's worth your time to speak with me. But, you know, 15% of the people did get in touch with me and that was better than nothing. And that was sort of how I got started. Hmm. For our audience, LinkedIn, really great tool. I definitely recommend you check it out if you don't use it already. And while we're talking about the style of your books, anybody who opens your books will be a little bit surprised because it is not at all like a normal book. And it kind of, you said that you previously want to be a screenwriter. It reminds me a lot of screenplays because it's very dialogue driven. It feels like you're in the first person following these people, following Tom Kalinske as he uh, leads Sega in the 1990s. So how did you develop this style of writing novels like their films and writing nonfiction like it's a fiction story? Yeah, and thank you for saying that. That is something that's very important to me. Uh, and, there, and there's two points. First is that somewhere along the way, early on with Console Wars, I decided that my ideal reader or the one that I would write with in mind was my grandmother. And I was thinking, how could I get my grandmother to care about Sega Nintendo? And grandma, all she knew about Sega Nintendo was that I'd put them on my Christmas and Hanukkah and birthday lists and she'd maybe get me some stuff when I was a kid. But she didn't know who Tom Kalinske was. She didn't know really what Sega was. So how could I get her to care about it? And, part, and the reason that I felt like that was achievable was because when I would talk to Tom Kalinske or Al Nilsson or Ellen Beth Van Buskirk or any of these dozens of pioneers, their stories would be so fascinating. And, and to your point, there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of small moments. That's what a lot of people remembered most fondly about that time. You know, when I would talk to Al Nilsson, he wasn't saying, oh, it was the greatest time. We, you know, rose our market share by 138%. He would tell me an anecdote. Um, and I think that that's a great way to talk about history um, because it is much more accessible and you can learn a lot from anecdotes um, and they are very character driven. So that's sort of where the style developed and it's something I've tried to carry through with all my work. And I think I get better and better at the journalism side, something which became very important with my second book because there was a lot of issues with the media coverage of Oculus. Um, but I always want my grandma to be able to enjoy my works, whether it's about Oculus, Sega, Larry David, or maybe one day about you, Jerry. Well, I would be absolutely honored. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today we're talking to Gil Junger with his new film, Think Like a Dog, Angela Santero from Night's Ring Media Group, voice actress Eliza Waterworth-Santo, and now let's continue with Jerry's interview with Blake Harris, who wrote Console Wars. You made a point about Sega trying to get audiences to relate to it and care about it because although Sega was extremely popular in the dawn of digital video games, it has gone down in popularity. Sega has become somewhat of an antiquated name, all Nintendo, Xbox, PlayStation, they're all great. Sega hasn't been doing as well. So what made you want to focus so much on Sega? Something that, you, like you said, you'd be fighting an uphill battle to tell a story in an entertaining way. Good question. So I think that all, 
all of the good work that I've, all my favorite work that I've done, whether it's an article or the book, always begins with questions and largely are driven by curiosity. Um, I find that that's the best way for me to do it when I'm waking up every day actually curious and wanting to know the answers and my interviews are leading me in that direction. And, and this, and Cotsworth sort of began with the question of what happened to Sega? Sega, in my mind as a kid, was an equal to Nintendo. It was, or, you know, at the least, it was sort of a Reebok to a Nike situation where it was maybe Nintendo had a little bit more of the market share. So I wanted to answer the question of what happened to Sega. And um, that was initially why I got in. And then I think also the fact that I'm 38 years old and a lot of people my age or who grew up in the 80s and 90s, we saw Sega's rise and it didn't feel like it was going to be as temporary as a thing that is a, as it turned out to be. So I think that there was a lot of value in writing about that. And, and, and it's been very nice to see how many people remembered it. I remember joking, um, and this is really meant in a lighthearted way, though it's a serious subject, is I, I, when I would tell people that I was working on this book, it felt to me like the, uh, the uh, upbeat version of the JFK assassination in terms of, you know, if you mention that to people of a different generation, they all have a story of where they were, how they felt, and with Sega and Nintendo, everyone had a story that I talked to of how they got their first console or whether they were on Team Sega or Team Nintendo. So there was also this, um, you know, the nostalgic aspect and sort of a tribalistic aspect too, um, something that certainly has become more part of our life in this current digital social media age, but certainly felt more friendly back then and more like a schoolyard rivalry. Mm. Well, while we're talking about changing entertainment, this is a big time for change. And your second book, The History of the Future, which talks about Oculus, is really focused on changing entertainment. And sadly, for people who love film like myself, kind of on the downside, because video games are definitely overtaking film and TV. They are now the most popular form of entertainment in America, which sounds so weird to me, but it's absolutely true. And video games themselves are changing uh, virtual reality is taking more and more of a market share. It's not going down, it's going up in size. So how do you think virtual reality is going to impact all forms of entertainment in the next couple of decades, not just video, not just video games? Um, I think that, I mean, like you, I'm also a film lover. So there's some sadness to me when I see, you know, theaters closing or, or films being eclipsed by other industries. But I think the good news for both of us is that there is going to be a convergence um, and what we know as a video game and what we know as a movie is going to become um, a little blurrier, um, even just a sort of a bad example. But when I was just talking about with my wife was the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and how there's interactive episode. Um, so that is film and that there's no VR component, but just this idea that you're not a passive participant in this experience. So I think that ultimately as a viewer, as a experiencer of content, you're gonna have more and more autonomy. And so someone, for me, sometimes I love just keeping the TV on and doing work. So I like the passive experience, but for people who like active experiences, whether it's you know playing an open world video game or whether it's you know sort of taking a movie scene and making the characters do different things, I think that it's gonna be a very exciting time in the near future. I definitely agree. You know, video games are so different from film in so many ways. I'm sure our audience can relate to this. Video games, you make your own story. A lot of, like you said, open world games, it's about making your own story, telling your own story, forming your characters. While movies, you're being told a story. So it's going to be definitely interesting how they combine. Now, in your story as an author, you're actually entering the world of film as Console Wars has very happily received a documentary. It has also received a greenlit for a short series. So you can talk about as an author what that experience is like to be an author and have your work uh, converted into a different medium. Can you talk about that experience? Sure. I mean, the best way to sum it up is that it was life-changing. Like I mentioned, I had a day job trading commodities 
And after meeting with Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, um, who run Point Grey Films, and a lot of people know Seth from his movies, uh, I was able to leave my job and pursue writing and filmmaking full time. Um, and I think, you know, my favorite part of it, of, of a lot of the, of all the nonfiction I do, is getting the story out there of the people I'm writing about. Um, you know, I often say that the, the, the judgment of a Tom Kalinske or a Palmer Lucky or any of the people in the story is the most important to me, not necessarily that they like it, though I hope that they do, or that they feel it's favorable, but because they're the only ones who will actually know if the story's accurate. You mentioned my sort of novelesque approach, so I always want that to just complement the actual true story. And I think that, um, you know, the Council War story really lent itself to an adaptation. The first time Tom Kalinske told me the story of being on the beach in Hawaii, not knowing what to do next with his life and getting this opportunity from a Japanese man who shows up out of nowhere. Um, you know, that just felt very cinema-esque to me. And yes, it's uh, being made into a, it's already been made into a documentary that was supposed to premiere at South by Southwest. Uh, that obviously got postponed. Uh, that's going to, the doc's going to premiere on CBS All Access and as is the series. And I couldn't be happier, you know, and I'm very grateful for how things have played out. Hmm. Well, congratulations once again. We are running out of time, but I really want to cover your future work. Like I said at the beginning, you are writing a book about Larry David. So can you talk a little bit about your process for that book, how it's different, and when our viewers can expect to see that book release? Sure. Yeah, thanks for asking about that. That's the new obsession of my life. Uh, most of my, each of my books have taken two to three or four years, so I'm sure it'll be a little bit of time before that comes out. But after my last book, which uh, you know went from a gaming technology underdog story to this sort of political quagmire that I was not, uh, you know, it was not something I set out to write about. Uh, but I followed the story as I think all reporters should do, uh, and it went into a place that I was very uh, frustrating, and a lot of people were angry with the current state of politics. And so, with this new book or with my next book, I want to write about something that made a lot of people happy, sort of more like Console Wars did. And nothing has made me happier in my life. Um, as a piece of content, obviously my wife and my parents make me very happy, but uh, nothing made me happier than Seinfeld. And so I wanted to sort of tell the behind the scenes story of how that show got made, what it was like to be there, those fun little moments, same thing with Curb Your Enthusiasm, and then really just shining a light on the man behind it all, Larry David, who obviously did it with great collaborators from Jerry Seinfeld to people like Jeff Schaefer and Alec Berg and Dave Mandel. But, you know, just really trying to get to know this man that I think a lot of people really admire and who most of us didn't know during the run of Seinfeld and only learned about him afterwards when he started starring on Herbert Enthusiasm. Well, Blake, thank you so much for talking to me about your career and your experience. Sadly, that is all the time we had. For our audience, make sure to check out Blake's many works and his upcoming works. And make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for many great interviews with many amazing people just like this. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and I'm your host, Jerry Ors, reporting for Kids First. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews on the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, and to learn how you can join our Kids First team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on Press for Kids, kidsworld.com, Kidsville News, and more. This show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for Voice America and iHeartRadio. Today's show is sponsored by Summer Fun with Malong. I'm Zoe, and once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, you know more which movies, TV shows, or digital media to look for, or learned about the talent that worked on or off camera on them, and can make informed decisions about what to watch. 
be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode and tune in again next week.